I want to take as my text this morning that reading from Psalm 100. Psalm 100, if you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 592. Psalm 100 is found on page 592, which I'd like us to look at again. Psalm 100. in which the psalmist says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. This morning I want to talk about why we worship God. Why we worship God. Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Church, wrote this. He said, there is an inborn urge in all of us to worship If we don't worship God, we'll find something else to worship, whether it be a job, a family, money, a sport, or even ourselves. But our calling as believers is to worship God. Indeed, if Psalm 100 is anything, it is a call to worship God. And in the psalm, the psalmist gives us two reasons why God is to be worshipped. And the first reason why that God is to be worshipped is because God is God. (laughs) Notice again verses 1 through 3. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, Yahweh, he is God. It is he who has made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so in verses 1 and 2, we have a a call to worship. Indeed, the psalmist says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. It's a call to worship. Literally in the Hebrew, it, it, it is, shout for joy to Yahweh. That is the self-existing one. In fact, it's very interesting. God's name in the Old Testament is Yahweh. It's actually, its root is a verb, and the verb means is. Or I am. In fact, you remember that when Moses came, uh, or God called Moses and said, "Now go to Egypt and deliver my people." And Moses said, "But, but what's your name? Because the people are going to ask me, well, what God? Because in Egypt there are plenty of them. What God? And and they'll ask what your name is. And God said to uh, Moses, "Tell them I am that I am." And that's literally what Yahweh means. So that God is saying, I'm the self, I just am. I'm the self-existing one. I, you're creatures, nobody created me. I am the God who was and the God who is and the God who ever shall be. And we come with joy. <laughs> Make a joyful noise to the Lord because to know God results in joy. In fact, David Taylor, who was not so long ago a member here, In the book that he wrote, Open and Unafraid, the Psalms as a Guide for Life, he wrote, to be full of God is to be full of joy. 
And the call to worship, as you can see here, at the end of verse 1, is not just to us who already believe, the people of God, but, but to everyone, all the whole earth, as the psalmist says. Because God is, as even Femi read from Exodus 19, God says to Moses and the people of Israel, the whole earth is mine. And so whether we acknowledge him as God or not, he is God. It's kind of like people who say, he's not my president. <laughs> well, he is actually, whether you like him or not. And the same with God. God is God. And there is no other, as the scriptures say. And then the psalmist repeats this call to worship in a slightly different way. In verse 2 he says, Serve the Lord with gladness and come into his presence with singing. In context, to serve the Lord here refers to a service of worship. In fact, I don't know if you've ever thought about it. It's like, well, where are you going? Well, I'm going to the worship service. Um, and, so, and so service to God, or one way in which we serve God, is, is, is through worship. That is, by giving to God the worship that's due to him. It's only right and proper and fitting that we acknowledge him for who he is. And so we worship him because he alone is God. And the psalmist goes on to say that one of the ways in which we worship God is with singing. Come into his presence with singing. <laughs> Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Like something that Chuck Swindoll once said. He said, some of us sing and the rest of us grumble. <laughs> well, that was pretty good. And that seems to kind of go hand in hand, you know. The grumblers don't usually like to sing very much. It's like, why would I do that, you know. Well, it, it, it flows out of a, a heart full of God, a heart full of joy. And sometimes, well, quite frankly, it is, is a noise. But the important thing is that it's joyful. <laughs> Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve him with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And so in verses 1 and 2, we have this call to worship. And then in verse 3, we have this clear statement about the reason why that we worship God. Notice again, verse 3. Knowing this, or acknowledging this, that the Lord Yahweh, the self-existing one, He is God. He it is who made us, and we are His. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. And so the reason why we serve God and worship God is because God is God. Know that the Lord, He is God. Or as Michael W. Smith once put it, God is God and I am not. That's great theology, by the way. It really is true. I'm not and neither are you. Um, in fact, it was John Burke in his book, So Revolution, he wrote this. He said, what does it mean to love God as God? Or as we might say, because we're talking about worship, and worship is an expression of love. What does it mean to worship God as God, to love God as God? It means to put God first above all things and to not let anything else be your guiding factor. And then he goes on to say, in fact, this is the first of the Ten Commandments. This is a basic truth, a basic calling a basic spiritual directive in which God says the first of the commandments, I am the Lord your God and you shall have none other gods but me. So that God is the starting place. What does God have to say about it? What does God want me to do? What has God promised me that I should look at this circumstance in a way that he sees it? When we sang that, you work all things together for my good. That's 
That's true, but we don't always live like it. Sometimes we might live like he's got it out for us. Old Testament scriptures and the writer to the Hebrews says that he dis disciplines every son or every child whom he loves. And sometimes he's doing that <laughs> for our good. Indeed, the psalmist says that, that it's the Lord who made us and we are his. He's the creator and we are his creatures. And because we're his creatures, we belong to him. As Eugene Peterson put it in the message, he said, he made us, we didn't make him. God is the first thing. God is the uncaused cause, to use ancient philosophical language. And so we worship the Lord because he made us. We are his creatures, and so we belong to him. Julie Canlis, in her book, A Theology of the Ordinary, wrote this. She said, wisdom in the Bible is recognizing the true relationship that exists between God, the creator, and we ourselves as his creation, and joyfully submitting to it. <laughs> I, I don't know that um, people uh, readily recognize that. That I, I flourish and you flourish the most and most perfectly when we recognize that God is God and I am not. That he's the creator and I'm the creature. He calls the shots and I do well to obey them. Sometimes on the belonging course, we use the illustration of the, the, the owner's manual in the, in the glove box, you know. In your glove box, you have an owner's manual. I don't know what you ride. The last guy I was talking to, uh, he drives a, drives a Lexus. It's a nice car. Well, the P Mr. Toyota, or somebody working for him, designed the car, and then they wrote a, a manual for it. Nobody knows better how to get the most out of that car at optimum performance than the one who built it and has provided a book that you can read to make sure that you get the most out of your car that you can. In fact, I've got a car out there in the parking lot. My daughter just was married this last weekend. She's 23 years old. I bought that car when she was three, and I'm still driving it. And I want to tell you, I've read the owner's manual. <laughs> And this is the owner's manual. The God who has created you and created you in your image has told us, told me and told you everything we need to do to flourish as his creatures with him as our creator. And so we worship him because he is God. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture, which is really interesting. That is to say, if the, if, if the, if the Lord is our God, we're his people. He, he counts us his own. What an extraordinary thing. Though they belong to me. And Jesus went on, you know, about this. I mean, uh, David talked about, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then Jesus came along and he said, I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know mine own and my own know me. And I call them each by name. Each of them I call by name, and they know my voice, and they won't follow another. And so he counts us his own, indeed, in this metaphor. It's the, if the Lord is our God, he's, he's our shepherd, and we're the sheep of his pasture. 
as the psalmist says, or as Eugene Peterson in the message put it, we, we are his well-tended sheep. Well-tended. Unless we, unless we wander away from the flock. As David said, the Lord is my shepherd, and because of that I have everything I need. <laughs> and so that's the first reason why we worship God, because God is God. The second reason why God is to be worshipped is because God is good. Notice verses 4 through 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. <laughs> and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. And so in verse 4, again, we have a call to worship. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praises. Reference to gates and courts is a reference to the worship space, the, the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. That is that special place where the people of God gather together to worship God in community and where God makes his special presence known, which is even true today. As Jesus promised, wherever two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. And, and so while I can experience and you can experience God, I mean, that's what Brother Lawrence talked about, right? Practicing the presence of God. And I read his book, and I have all kinds of notes, and I go over them and so forth, because that's what I, I want to experience God all the time. But there's something different that happens when we come together in his name and say, yep, that's the one we trust. That's the one we believe in. That's the one we need to hear from today. He is our God. Bless his holy name. And so we come through the gates. We come through the doors. And I've been to Jerusalem, and you go through those gates, those great, they're long, and these great stone walls. You go through the gates, and then what used to be years ago, gates that brought you into the temple courts. There's the court of the Gentiles, and then courts beyond that. And then the holy place. And the psalmist says, and enter into this worship space with thanksgiving. That is with gratitude and with praise to God. Gratitude. I love what um, Renee Brown in her Netflix special is, is talking, I think it was called A Call to Courage. I saw it a couple years back. But one of these things she said that she and her team in their study found out that there's a common denominator that is, that is true of all people resilient people, no matter whether they're rich or poor or male or female, whether they live in the West or they live in the East or somewhere in between. The common denominator of people who are faced with difficulties and are able to get through them, they're resilient. The common denominator amongst them is the practice of gratitude. They all can see the things for which they can give thanks and they count their blessings as a way of life. And that gives them the strength to endure and be resilient, even in the face of trials. But Thomas Merton wrote this about gratitude. Come into his courts with thanksgiving. <laughs> Merton said, to be grateful is to recognize the love of God in everything he has given us 
and he has given us everything. Every breath we draw is a gift of his love. Every moment of existence is a grace, and with it more grace is given. Gratitude, he says, takes nothing for granted. It is never unresponsive. It is constantly awakening to new wonder and praise because God is good. But the grateful man knows that God is good not by hearsay, but by experience. And that's what makes all the difference. And so verse 4 is this call to worship. And then in verse 5, we have the reason why we worship God, and Merton just touched on it. Notice again verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And so the reason why we worship God is because God is good. Right? You're the church, you know, right? God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And so the psalm says, worship God for he's good. God is good. <laughs> and because he is good, he does good. He's a benefit and a blessing, to use our own language around here. In fact, why you ever, why, did, you, did, you, did you ever think about that? Why do we end every service and say, now go in the power of the Spirit to be a, a benefit and a blessing to everyone you meet? Why? Because that's what God does. And so God is good, and God does good. And his steadfast love endures forever, the psalmist says. Henry Nouwen, you know, talked about God's, that, that God's love is inexhaustible. God's love is inexhaustible. That, that is to say, at least in these two ways, that, that God never tires of loving, even no matter what we do. In fact, it, I mean, the scriptures say, right, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And how many times? Well, that, that, was, the, that was the question that Peter asked Jesus. How many times should I forgive the brother who sins against me? Seven times? And Peter thought that he was being generous because... The rabbis in his day only required that you forgive somebody three times. And so Peter doubled it and added one. He thought Jesus was going to impress and be impressed. And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven, which was another way of saying, forgive every time forgiveness is required. That's how God forgives you. And that's how God forgives me. And it's an expression of his steadfast love that endures forever. A love that is inexhaustible, that never tires, and he never runs out of it. And the psalmist says that God's faithfulness as well endures forever, even to all generations. He was loving and he was faithful to the generation before. He's loving and faithful to the generation now. And when we're gone, he will be faithful to the generation yet to come. John Stott, and I've used this quote quite a bit just because it's so good, but in his book, People, My Teachers, he said, it's precisely because God is faithful that trust in him makes sense because there's no one more faithful than God. 
this uh, last week, I've been thinking and going over in my mind this thing that A.W. Tozer wrote some years ago. He said, putting God in his right place, or he says, he said, it's, a, it's a directive, put God in his right place and a thousand problems are solved at once. <laughs> put God in his right place, and one might add, and put yourself in the right place. Put God in the right place and a thousand problems are solved at once. And it's, it's amazing because it's true, at least, at least for me. Indeed, um, when I start in my mind, in my heart with things other than God, that's when I get into trouble. And as long as I stay in that state, I stay in trouble. But when I start with God instead, and God is my starting point, it's amazing how differently I see everything about my life and the world around me. And so how about you? Where is your starting place? <laughs> Why we worship God? Let us pray. Nature tells us that you're the starting place. Lord, what? Why would any of this be here? It's not here because of me. Everything in my world is, 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 uh, is running down and losing energy and, and so on. And we are all susceptible to death. Even as the scriptures say, we bring nothing in, we take nothing out. I'm not even in charge. I can't even keep myself alive. I didn't bring myself into existence and I can't keep myself in existence. Indeed, it's in you that we live and move and have our being. There you are again, Lord. You are the starting place. In you all things consist, as the scriptures say. And so help us to understand that and that when we live according to these truths, even as Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, then we're liberated from all the other things that might put us in bondage and direct us and chain us up in the dark even if in the darkness they may seem to be pleasure, at least for a moment, but the end thereof is death. And so, Lord, help us by your grace to answer the call of the psalmist and to experience you in the way you always meant us to experience you, even as the psalmist says in another place, in your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.